1: Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, we are in
0: October. Jason Whiteley and Jason Wheeler with you for another episode of the Yolitics political podcast. And what a last few days. What a weekend here, Jason. I'm not talking about... The beer we had this weekend, I'm talking about the political news, the bombshell that happened with Ken Paxton, man.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, October surprise, I guess we'll call this one. Uh, And he's not even up for re-election right now. Uh, And this is the top prosecutor in Texas and uh, a lot of uh, allegations swirling. Uh, about him. Criminal allegations here. And Jason, I think that what makes this extraordinary is that these criminal allegations come from within his own office there, the State Attorney General's office in Austin. And, you know, I think a lot of people hear something like this and they sort of tune out and they think, uh, you know, I'm not really keeping up with what the attorney general of Texas is doing or not doing. Uh, But this has bigger implications than just the attorney general himself. This affects state government. It affects the party, the Republican Party in Texas, and it affects that Republican Party at a very crucial time. You know, we're less than a month away from a huge election and you've got some some fallout happening within the dominant party in state government here.
0: Yeah, fallout's the understatement here. So just for our our listeners who might not have seen the news over the weekend, on Friday night, the Austin American Statesman and KVU TV down in Austin, they reported that seven of the top officials inside the Texas Attorney General's office, the number two guy down there right behind Ken Paxton, the Attorney General, the number two guy and six other lieutenants, they all sent a letter to Paxton saying, we uh, uh, hereby accuse you of bribery, of abusing your office, of improper use of office. Not only that, we're resigning. And not only that, Jason, we're turning this over to the FBI. Mm.
1: So this so is then powerful. On,
0: yeah. And then, and then on uh, Sunday morning, the Houston Chronicle reports that this is all might be tied to a, a young developer in uh, Austin by the name of Nate Paul. He's a 30, 32-year-old, something like that. He owns a, a lot of real estate with a company called World Class Holdings down there. A lot of commercial real estate. So the allegations are that, that Paxton might have been using his office. This is what his own people say. might have been using his office to help Nate Paul. And then on Sunday morning also, right, right after all that, uh, Paxton's own uh, political advisor, Jordan Berry, he resigned as well, too. So Paxton's support has just, you know, fallen by the wayside. Who, who else is left with him, Jason? And
1: that's I, I think that's significant when you see, you know, people falling away from him on the inside and outside within his own party. Because, you know, the, 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 the water gets really muddy here. You've got these people within the attorney general's own office saying that he's done some serious things wrong here in violating the law. But then you have... The attorney general, his office coming out saying, nope, not true. Uh, the complaint that was filed against him was done to impede an ongoing investigation into criminal wrongdoing by public officials, including employees of this office. So basically, they're saying he's saying there, I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, the only reason you filed a complaint against me is because I'm looking into some of you doing some things wrong. So now we've got some really muddy water going on here. And I think it's telling when you start looking at people in power, the governor, the lieutenant governor, some representatives out there starting to publicly fall away from the attorney general. That gives you an indication of which way the winds are blowing, even though, you know, a lot has been said in both directions here. You're starting to see the wind blow in in a particular direction and it doesn't look good for the attorney general.
0: It it doesn't look good at all, and you know, p- people listening to this might say, "Oh, Ken Paxton doesn't he already have an indictment against him?" Yes, he does. It's been going on for like six years for securities fraud. Uh, those accusations, though, I would argue, Jason, are are pale in comparison yeah. to uh, what his own people are alleging now. And of course, I, I saw the, the same thing you just talked about that that uh, memo from or the statement rather from Paxton's own people. I've talked to a lot of Republicans, a lot of inside people. Uh, over the past few days, since all this broke, and they all say that the uh, the very first signature of those seven people who signed that against him is got named Jeff Mateer. Uh He's the first Assistant Attorney General. He was until he resigned on Friday. Yeah, and they say he is as straight of an arrow as you can get. Highly respected from the right, um, you know. It, and for him to have an accusation against him, no one believes it. Yeah. So that sets up the question, Jason. Can Paxton survive this? And of course, there's more coming out right now, even as we record this podcast, there's more detail coming out. But one guy who has his ear on Austin and talks to a lot more people than you and I do is a guy named Scott Braddock. He's the editor of The Quorum Report. Hey, Scott, good to see you, man. Good to see you. Hey, this big question is, can Ken Paxton survive this latest news that developed over the weekend? What do you think?
2: Great question. I was trying to game that out myself. Um, usually, the quick defense for a conservative Republican office holder would be to say that the liberal deep state is out to get them. Certainly can't say that with this. I mean, uh, Jeff Matier, the first Assistant Attorney General who just quit the office last week as he was signing this letter on the way out. He's got some serious conservative credentials, and so do most of the lawyers who are on this. And they're all very smart lawyers, capable lawyers, people who are well respected, by the way, by Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, Jeff Matier is somebody who came from uh, the uh, sort of conservative. Conservative intelligentsia. You know, he was at a group called First Liberty. One of the things they do, the big thing they do is try to get conservative judges on the bench. Um, so I don't think you're going to see that particular defense come from Paxton. And I'm not sure who's going to mount the defense for him publicly. I mean, his office has put out a statement about this, uh, but his chief political strategist immediately quit. Uh, within 24 hours of this uh, news coming out over the weekend. That's usually, you know, usually who I would have called about this, but uh, now we're kind of figuring that all out. Um, The Attorney General, this isn't his first run-in with the law, as you know all too well. Uh, He's free on bond today. He's walking on bond today uh, because he faces uh, securities fraud charges that are Um, more than five years old at this point.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about that, Scott, because that's been going on forever now. How much of this, you know, in in the minds of the regular John Q voter out there, how much of this is just you know sort of baked in where they they kind of know that the attorney general of Texas has had some kind of legal issue something or another going on in the courts how much do you think that they follow this kind of internal thing now going on in his office with some serious allegations being made but but how much are people paying attention to it especially with everything else real, going
2: on I think the real answer to that lies in whether democrats can use it successfully to sort of hang the pa- the uh, problems around the necks of people who are actually on the ballot so when you look at some of the races that are in y'all's area. Mm-hmm. And if the Democrats are able to flip the Texas House, which we can talk more about that, but um, if they're able to do that, and there's so much chatter about it now, um, the road to the majority runs through Dallas Fort Worth. I mean, the majority of the competitive races are in that area. Some of them are in Collin County, which is, of course, where Paxton is from. And Collin County is changing very rapidly. Uh, as you mm-hmm. saw that uh, poll about Van Taylor's race a couple of weeks ago, the congressional race up there, essentially tied with his uh, Democratic challenger, Uh, that would tell me that at least two of the Texas House seats that overlap with that district are probably overperforming for Democrats like crazy. And you saw the House Democratic Caucus uh, just in the few hours after these allegations became public, uh, they started making that case. They were saying that Representatives Jeff Leach, Matt Shaheen, these people are all thick as thieves with Paxton. A lot of folks refer to all all the electeds up there uh, who are Republicans as sort of the Collin County Mafia. Uh, You may remember Uh, in the Dallas Morning News uh, a couple of years ago, I think there was the story about how the county judge there uh, was working overtime to try to defund the prosecution of Paxton because they're all allies. Uh, And those state representatives there, uh, there were text messages that were reported uh, in the newspaper from them saying that they would do anything to help Ken Paxton. And so I think the Democrats would be unwise to not use this in their campaigns. Um, Is it the kind of thing that people are paying attention to anyway? No, they're not. But that's what campaigns are for us to change the things that people are thinking about. Uh, and I would right. say that if they, they do have close races, Jason, um, it's, it's one of those deals where you can't discount anything. Let's say we're going to have races in this state that come down to 300, 400, 500 votes out of thousands, if not millions cast, uh, you know, millions in the statewide races, tens of thousands in the, in the smaller local right. races. And if some of these races are decided by just a few hundred votes, you can't discount any mm-hmm. single attack or any dynamic in that race that led to that result.
0: So Scott does does Paxton's future really hinge on whether his support stays or collapses within the Republican party is, is that it
2: Great question. Uh, the groups that normally support him seem to be indicating they're going to turn on him. Uh, Ken Paxton was the original uh, largest beneficiary of Empower Texans money uh, in campaigns. Of course, Empower Texans, if people aren't familiar, it's uh, what I call a right wing enforcement group. Uh, they're funded mainly by a guy from uh, Midland named Tim Dunn, who's a wealthy oil man. Uh, and when Paxton was originally running for attorney general, you remember back in 2014, part of what put him over the top in the Republican primary. Against against the former representative from uh, Dallas, Dan Branch. Part of what got him there was a million dollar loan from Empower Texans. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Shelley Luther uh, just recently got a million dollar loan from Tim Dunn in her race. Uh, This is the way they do this. Uh, It sounds like they are getting ready to start attacking him. Uh, Some of the uh, Empower Texans uh, tweets and blog posts over the weekend. Uh, already seemed to be critical of Paxton, and they were making the case that, look, you know, he was our white knight, uh, somebody that we, uh, you know, really supported as a true conservative. Uh, but the corrupting forces of Austin have turned him into another swamp creature. I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing, but that's basically what they were saying. Um, but mm-hmm. he's somebody who came with a lot of problems originally. Paxton, they never questioned the idea uh, that Paxton's somebody who went into the state legislature with one business and came out of the state legislature with 27 businesses. Um, You know, he was making all sorts of deals in Austin. If anybody can be accused of being a swamp creature, it's him. And look at the accusations here. He's accused of bribery and abuse of office by these these, uh, executives in his office. Um, And one of the accusations is that he helped to make a case go away for this political donor, uh, this uh, investment, uh, uh, this investor in Austin, Nate Paul, Um, he's accused of... Um, you know, basically doing him the favor of making some of his uh, investigations go away. He's, Paxton has done that before. Uh, this is just an accusation, but Paxton has done it for Empower Texans. When they were being investigated by the Texas Ethics Commission uh, for the way they spend their political dollars, Paxton's office refused to enforce subpoenas against them. Uh, and so that one particular case against Empower Texans Went away. So if those groups are now turning on him, it would be highly hypocritical because um, basically, this guy Nate Paul, if all of this turns out to be true, compared to Empower Texans, Nate Paul got a deal. Uh, you know, from Ken Paxton, because he gave him $25,000 and they gave him more than a minute.
1: I, I want to ask you about this, too. Uh, you, you know, Jason brings up a good question about if you lose support from fellow Republicans, <coughs> things start yep. to get really lonely there in Austin. And we've already seen uh, the governor coming out saying these allegations raise serious concerns. The lieutenant governor saying mm-hmm. this is obviously concerning. Uh, th- it, it, there's code talk in there that, that basically, you know, is they, they publicly signal that, hey, I don't have your back on this one. We're, you know, days away, weeks away from a big election here. Uh, and 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 you're kind of on your own with this. I'm not going to offer you
2: some air cover for this. How significant is that? The timing of this couldn't be worse for Republican leadership. And in looking at the timing of it, the way this came out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, I was trying to figure out who is this good for, And it could only possibly be Democrats in that scenario that we laid out a little bit earlier here in the show. Um, I do think that you're right. They're not rushing to his defense. You know, when you think about the way that uh, these things unfold when somebody gets accused of something, nobody expects that any person is never gonna make a mistake and that they're never gonna do anything wrong. It's how you handle it when those things happen that that you did wrong. Um, But if you live your life in such a way that nobody would believe it when you're accused of something, that's one thing. I'll give you the example of the Speaker of the House last year. When he was accused of betraying members of the Texas House, there was nobody for a minute who said, I can't believe that he did that. Um, and, and so he had that history. Paxton has a history of what I would say is sort of being accused of Petty, sort of five buck crimes. It's never some giant scheme to take over the world. It's Mm -hmm. always something that puts a little bit of money in his pocket, like uh, with the securities fraud uh, charges that he already faces. Um, And the other thing about the timing, um, when that letter came out, uh, you see the people who are listed there. It may have been in their head and it may be um, already on their minds that the uh, feds are investigating this. As both of you know, in all of your news coverage over the years, uh, the conviction rate for federal prosecutions is probably about 99%, something like that. They don't fool around, and usually the only question is How long are you going to prison for? Um, it, when that letter came out, it made mm. me and a lot of other folks here in Austin think that those people who signed it, they probably want to be on the prosecution side of a case like that and not on the defendant side. Mm.
0: Yeah. And j- just a, a quick reminder for our listeners here, the, the people on that letter that Scott's referring to, it, it's a letter that they sent to uh, i think the state hr director and it was the first assistant attorney general was the number two mm-hmm. in the office got him jeff mateer yep. uh several other uh deputy assistant attorney generals this was ken paxton's inner circle yep. um I, I, i'm curious though, scott it, let's say that that he loses support and he resigns mm-hmm. what would happen to his seat would the governor appoint someone because he wouldn't be up <coughs> for re-election until 2022.
2: That's right. His seat would be filled by a gubernatorial appointment. Uh, Abbott would be tasked with uh, figuring out who the next uh, attorney general should be. Uh, We've already heard some names floated for who might be interested. Most of them already wear uh, robes to work. Um, Eva Guzman has been floated out Hmm. there, Uh, one of the state Supreme Court justices, also Jeff Boyd. I've heard that name a lot in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Um, And this may have more repercussions for 2022 than it does for this election, as we were talking about. It might be something that marginally impacts some races here and there uh, if Democrats can make the case that all, all the Republicans in Austin are, are corrupt, and so you need to send Democrats to Austin instead. They'll try to make that case. or They've already started to try to do that. But in 2022, it could change the landscape. Um, I'd say a couple of things about it. One, if Paxton's going to resign, don't look for that to happen very quickly. Um, It could, but um, I would say that because he holds a constitutional office, often that's uh, the kind of thing that's used as a bargaining chip with federal prosecutors. Whenever uh, an office holder uh, is accused of some crime by the feds, it ends up sometimes that the agreement is I'll resign if I only have to go to prison for a year or something like that. You know, you you work out what the details would be. Hmm. Um, But the other thing is if he resigns, And Abbott has a chance to appoint a new attorney general who is not plagued by all these scandals. Uh, Then he also, let's say he picks a Supreme Court justice like Guzman, then he also gets to pick uh, the replacement for, Abbott gets to pick the replacement for that person who would then also be on the ballot again in 2022. As the state trends more democratic, I'm not one of those who says it's a swing state, it's it's a swing state when it swings and we're not just there yet, but, um, but if it's more competitive by 2022, hmm. the, uh, you know, the governor has the chance here to hand pick who he thinks would be the best candidates uh, for two statewide offices, potentially.
1: Let's say this guy holds on for dear life, though, and, and doesn't have plans to go anywhere and doesn't care if you know friends are abandoning him. We're about to go into a legislative session uh, come next January. And, and as you mentioned, a big election coming up right after that in 2022. They get here fast. Uh, do you think we get to the point where they try to remove him forcibly uh, through the legislature?
2: Um, statewide office holders can be impeached. Uh, I'm not sure if the votes would be there in a legislative session. One thing about the legislative session is we. We have no idea what it is going to look like. We're talking on Zoom this afternoon, um, and some of the legislature, uh, some of the legislative session may play out that way. It may be in some ways sort of a super secret session uh, because it may be that not a lot of people who do what we do for a living journalists and others are even allowed in the building because of the coronavirus. The, the Texas Capitol is closed right now uh, to the general public, um, and it may be that journalists, lobbyists, uh, your average citizen are not allowed in. Uh, and so one of the thoughts that's uh, out there for the legislative session, and we've reported on this a lot at quorumreport.com is that the House and Senate um, leadership doesn't want those um, legislative chambers to become hotspots for coronavirus, especially when you do have some older lawmakers. Um, they want to look out for their safety, of course. Uh, and so that means that the agenda may be very narrow for the legislative session. It may be uh, that they try to only tackle the state budget, which is the, the lawmakers uh, top work product is the number one thing that they do. Um, and then only a few other select things. Uh, the Lieutenant governor convened a conference call I'm told of Senate chairman, uh, about a month ago at 10 o'clock at night, uh, in which they gamed out worst case scenarios, uh, for what the legislative session might look like. And that would be almost no public participation, uh, very limited, um, um, you know, consideration given to various bills. And so the senators right now would have to figure out what the priorities are. On the Texas House side, um, there is no uh, returning speaker. And so there's not really a hierarchy in the House. Um, but I would imagine that in the House, they would also have a narrowed down uh, agenda. Uh, they did put out a uh, survey of the Texas House members. Uh, Charlie Guerin, who's the administration chairman from Fort Worth, uh, he put out this survey and asked all the members, you know, what they thought about what the session should look like. And there was overwhelming support for masks and temperature checks and things like that. And then the members were also allowed to just make their own comments about what they thought. Uh, And one of the funniest comments to me was that uh, one of the lawmakers said, maybe we should be in a bubble like the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. And a senior Republican uh, senator said to me, well, unlike the NBA and unlike uh, Major League Baseball, uh, if there's an outbreak at the Capitol, there's not another team to take the field if they have mm-hmm. to quarantine for 14 days. And remember that they are constricted by a five month legislative session. So lo- losing half a month uh, mm-hmm. during, during the legislative session would be devastating to any agenda. And back to your question, uh, would mean less time to try to bust the attorney general if lawmakers felt like they needed to
1: Well, of course, a wild card there, too, is we don't know who will be in charge of the Texas House uh, come the next legislative session because Democrats do have the opportunity to actually
2: flip power there for the first time in a long time. That's right. Um, you know, the last time that uh, the majority changed in the House was in 2003. The 2002 election saw the Republicans take the majority. Uh, and at that time, and this we're sort of it's unprecedented, gentlemen, we may see three back-to-back-to-back uh, speakers races. You had um, mm-hmm. Joe Strauss uh, retire, and that set up the speakers race that ended up uh, with the uh, installation of Dennis Bond. And then he flamed out as speaker, and so he's on his way out. Um, We could have the Democrats take over the House, which would mean they would get to elect a Democratic speaker. But in the next legislative session after that, The Republican leadership would have presumably already done redistricting for the state, which means that they'd be in good position to take the House back, Hmm. which would mean that that new Democratic speaker would not get to hold the gavel in the next legislative session. We'd have Hmm. another uh, speaker's race all over again. It's very destabilizing for Texas government. People forget that uh, Joe Strauss was the speaker for a decade, um, and that meant a pretty steady Texas House uh, ready to tackle things from a center-right perspective for sure, um, but uh, having this kind of destabilization in Texas government, especially at a time when so many aspects of our lives are, are completely destabilized, uh, is not good.
0: Yeah, that's a good point too about the the you know musical chairs there uh, at the die in the Texas. Um Uh, house chamber getting back to ken paxton though i I want to ask you two questions scott give me some context and how big of a bombshell this is in state politics and secondly what are you watching for as we move forward on paxton
2: Huge bombshell. Um, the only time that my uh, to put it in perspective, the only time recently that my phone uh, blew up as much from lawmakers and lobbyists and other insiders was when Sid Miller appeared in the Borat trailer last week. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> so <laughs> it got people's attention. That's the point I'm making. Um, it, the uh, thing I'm looking for uh, going forward with his case is one: how quickly is this resolved? Um, you know, is there uh, a federal prosecution? Uh, you know, fairly quickly. We know that the feds don't take. Um, you know, they don't. They don't speed things up and move on a. On a political timeline, if you will, uh, those those prosecutions, uh, you know, they tend to take their time if that's what prosecutors uh, feel like they need to do. Um, and then I would say that uh, the next uh, the next most immediate thing would be what impact this really does have for the existing legal troubles that the attorney general has. Special prosecutor in the case said that look, if you've got a guy uh, who's out uh, out free on bond, as we mentioned earlier, and he's committing more felonies, that would cause um, you know huge problems and should be in jail while he awaits trial for. Uh, for what he's already accused of. So this is just a huge mess uh, for Ken Paxton, and I would say the walls are closing in pretty quick.
1: Uh, and, and broader, uh, to, to go out a little bit broader from there, you know, you brought up the whole thing last year with the uh, Republican House Speaker turning on uh, fellow Republicans. We've yep. had the fight recently uh, within the party over early voting and when that should begin and, and and whether it should be extended the way it was. And now we've got this where uh, high-profile Republicans are backing away uh, from this Republican Attorney General here in the state. Uh, talk a little bit about the cohesion or lack thereof in the party right now. At such a critical time, I mean, this is this is when you should all have the message
2: together and and be moving as a group, and it just seems very disparate. Yes, um, I cannot remember the last time that the chairman of a political party was holding a and promoting a, a protest of a governor of the same party. Uh, with just a month to go before um, the election. We're just uh, two weeks out from early voting. Um, Look, uh, we have a Republican Party in this state which is more interested um, in party purity than in building a majority uh, because they've enjoyed a majority for a long time. If you go back and look at the way the party operated uh, when George W. Bush was governor, uh, the party chair at the time, Uh, was interested in recruiting candidates and raising millions and millions of dollars. I'm trying to remember what the number was, but uh, the number that was raised to elect Republicans by the party um, at that time, it, it still holds the record. Uh, you know, and that's, you know, that's a generation ago at this point, you know, in, in Texas politics. Um, yeah. And so right now you have this uh, fight going on within the Republican Party while they're, you know, trying to make the case that the Democrats would be that much worse. Um, it's it's disparate. That's one way to say it. It's, it's a bloody civil war. Um, I can't remember when the chairman of a party uh, was suing the governor of the same party and that's happening right now as you as you talked about um over something fundamental like voting issue voting rights. i think uh, the governor and the way that he's handled the pandemic a lot of this is uh, not a lot of sympathy for him for me because a lot of it's really just his own words catching up to him when governor abbott uh, talked about uh, why he was rejecting the expansion of mail-in ballots which of course the Democrats want to see uh, he said that's the purview of the legislature that was his answer in a press conference um, well the uh, plaintiffs in that case the Republicans who are complaining about the way Abbott expanded in person early voting they're saying the same thing they're mm-hmm. saying that it's the legislature's decision not yours as far as whether um, we should make changes to the way that the uh, voting rules are set up in the state uh, and so the governor has some hypocrisy there it's a, he's you know he's claiming he's claiming. Uh, and that's putting it nicely. He's, he's claiming all these powers under disaster, under the Disaster Act, uh, which have not really been tested. Uh, and I think uh, that's how you have a governor who goes from 70 percent approval or so before the pandemic. Down to 35% approval for his coronavirus response and underwater for his general approval. Never seen anything like that, and it happened all about six weeks. And so Republicans and Democrats alike are not happy with him. Uh, and look, if, if I've said this before, I'll say it again if the Democrats can't pull off some victories in an environment in which the governor's at 35% approval for coronavirus, the attorney general is accused of, incredibly accru- accused of bribery and uh abuse of his office uh the president of the united states is seen as a whining baby in a diaper during the first debate uh if they can't win in that environment then they probably should, ought to just disband the democratic party because they don't know how to win elections
0: we'll find out november 4th if they decide to disband man well yeah i mean i'm sure <laughs> i
2: made a lot of friends during this interview on both sides of the <laughs>
0: <that>. <laughs> well scott you always speak your mind man <laughs> um, hey it, it's, it's great insight clearly the, the mess isn't only in washington it's also in austin now too Uh, Scott Braddock from The Quorum Report. Thanks so much, man.
2: You bet. Good to talk to you. all
0: Appreciate it, man. All right, that was Scott Braddock there. He is the editor of The Quorum Report, a fantastic news site. Been around for years, and it's really one that delves into the weeds and uh, knows the politics, the coming and goings, and, and where all the bodies are buried in Austin, Jason.
1: Yeah, that's a, and it's a. It's always great to talk to somebody like that who's way down in the weeds because they're picking up stuff that the rest of us haven't even heard yet. Uh, and it sounds like there's going to be a lot of threads left to pull on this story. So the more that you can kind of get your mind around what's going on with this, the more you can keep track of this because it's going to run off in a couple of different directions as it unfolds. I think.
0: Yeah, it is, and we wanted to get two other people on the on the line here. Also, uh, we'll do them individually, but but you know Scott is a. Uh, An independent, if you will, Uh, some people who read his coverage might say he's right or left or whatever it is. But this is Republican on Republican here. You have the attorney general saying that his own people were uh, staging a a mutiny here and his own people say uh, that he committed crimes. So uh, we wanted to tap a couple of Republican voices. And the first is Matt Makoviak. Uh, He is the Travis County Republican chairman. Uh, Matt's been around for years. We call on him all the time. He also runs uh, the Potomac Strategy Group. It's a uh, Republican uh, consultant group that uh, represents uh, GOP candidates and officials uh, all over the state.
3: The big question I think that that the Attorney General has to answer is can he continue to do his job while this investigation is going on? Uh, He has not been found guilty of anything. You have an allegation that's been made effectively by uh, a high-ranking whistleblower with a few other people signing on to it inside the office. That's obviously very serious. It's not entirely clear to me how the investigation goes forward. Is it gonna be the U.S. Attorney's office? Is it going to be the Texas Rangers? Is it gonna be someone else? Uh, We saw just just a few minutes ago, the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Texas announced he is going to resign uh, and take a job in the private sector. So it's not even clear uh, who will be running that office and whether that person uh, would be able to, to lead this investigation and when that could begin. So my guess is we're looking at a period of months before this becomes more clear. And I think unless uh, the governor, lieutenant governor, other very high-ranking statewide officials called on the attorney general to resign, I think he's probably going to fight this as hard as he can. Uh, I imagine there's probably quite a bit more to this story.
0: Yeah, I'm curious how how he fights it moving forward. I mean, obviously his inner circle in the AG's office has taken off on him. Um, But Jordan Berry uh, is is his uh, longtime political advisor and Jordan Berry uh, resigned or or quit uh, the Paxton campaign. What kind of message does that send that he doesn't even want to deal with the politics around this?
3: Yeah, look, I know Jordan well. He's got a number of of really important races that he's handling this election cycle. We got a month left. Uh, He may have decided he doesn't have time. To handle uh, this kind of crisis, he may he may feel that that he didn't want to be involved with it, given the controversy associated with it. I don't know what, what the decision was. There's no question that for the attorney attorney general, this has to be disorienting, uh, because he's had some very high-ranking and close uh, officials, both in the office and on the political side, who have now basically deserted him, uh, and so that has to be uh, you know difficult. Uh, he's probably wondering who his friends are right now, and that would be fairly natural uh, in this kind of situation. You know, Part of this is that he, you have the official side, and then you have the political side. On the official side, he has to figure out, with his top aide resigning, uh, with Jeff Petir resigning, and, and basically launching uh, this whole effort, uh, who is going to be the new official assistant attorney general. Uh, the other, I think, six officials who signed the, the letter uh, are now, I think, going to be covered by a whistleblower statute, so they can't be fired. But presumably, the, the Attorney General is going to have probably limited interaction, interactions with those individuals and, and and probably not a lot of perhaps personal faith in them. So he's going to have to figure out who he can have, who he can surround himself with. The Attorney General's office, I can tell you, is is very, very, very busy. Uh, I was with the Attorney General a few, a few weeks ago. He told me they're busier now than they've ever been. More lawsuits, uh, more uh, requests for, for rulings on different things. Uh, all kinds of things. he He's had a very busy few months. so it's not an ideal time to lose two or three of your top people and to have all this hanging over him, which it is.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I'm curious where where do you see a path forward? I mean, I guess as long as he has support from you know his his flank in the party, then then he could he could stay where he is. But what happens if he loses support uh, from within the party, Matt?
3: Yeah, it's a constant uh, evaluation. Uh, you know, if you lose support among top-ranking statewide officials, that makes it a lot more difficult uh, to, to, to stay around. At this point, all you have is an allegation. You have a, an investigation that could begin at some point. You don't have an indictment. You don't have charges. So it would be unusual uh, to see someone resign in a high-ranking position just because someone has called for an investigation. Uh, nothing's been proven at this point. It doesn't mean the allegations aren't deadly serious, and they are uh but at this point it would be hard for me to see why he'd resign you know, he didn't resign when he was charged charged not just alleged but charged with securities violations of course that legal saga as you know is, is still ongoing has made very little headway Uh, and may ultimately go nowhere. Uh, Now, that was a different situation because you did have high ranking Republicans basically stand by him on the belief that 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 did appear to be a political prosecution to some extent. This may be different. Uh, We will see whether it will just be a few potentially vulnerable Republicans who call for him to resign. If it goes beyond that, to people who are not on the ballot in November, uh, like the governor, like the lieutenant governor, others, uh, that's when you know this will reach a totally different level of, of political challenge for the attorney general. Right now, it hasn't gotten to that point. Uh, And he's going to have to determine what his best pathway is. He also has to decide what is my legal pathway and then what am I doing on the official side and then what do I say publicly?
0: What do you mean, what's my legal pathway? Would he maybe consider using his office as a bargaining chip if things advanced or what?
3: No, I'm not not necessarily saying that. What I'm saying is, um, you know, if he is being investigated, presumably he's going to hire lawyers who are going to help work through that. Um, and so, you know, he has to, first of all, figure out what the allegation is, what the facts are, you know, what his own liability is. He's got to figure out how he can continue to run the office, given that he's had some high-ranking people, uh, one, one of which resigned and, and the others who've made this allegation. He's got to figure out what his own personal legal strategy is. He's being investigated. Uh, how, You know, what is his participation? What documents are provided? What lawyers does he hire? How does he pay for that? I mean, these are all the kinds of considerations you have to have. Uh, and then finally, what if anything does he say publicly? Um, oftentimes, the PR strategy and the legal strategy yeah. are in direct conflict uh, because uh, you want to defend yourself uh, publicly, but the legal strategy may be, "No, let's slow down, let's see what they have, let's go through discovery, let's do this thoughtfully, let's hold our cards you know close to the vest." Yeah. So that's that is the conflict: is that that uh, the PR strategy and the legal strategy may diverge?
0: Yeah, and and you bring up several times a good point. He has not been, you know, alleged to have done anything criminally uh, by, by any law enforcement agency, just his, you know, former inner circle colleagues there, too. And the other thing, the securities fraud charge, the state charge you're talking about, that's six years going on now, and it is yet to go to trial, which has a lot of people uh, scratching their heads. And then Democrats, uh, of course, saying all the time, hey, he's still, though, he's indicted, which both statements are true. Here's, here's the last thing I want to ask him, Matt. I want to, I want to zoom out and look at this from a, a wider view for the Republican Party in Texas. Um, does, does the title of the podcast is, does, does the shrapnel from the Paxton bombshell, does that hurt the party, you know, broadly speaking? What would you say to that question?
3: Yes, yeah, it's, it's obviously really unhelpful timing, right? We're 30 days from the election. People are very focused. That said, I, I don't see any other involvement to anyone on the ballot, in November uh, if this was some type of larger scandal or if it had something to do with the legislature or you know congressional candidates or donors or operatives that would be different this really seems like a single uh controversy that is associated with one person who's not on the ballot again until 2022 if he runs for election or runs for another office so i don't doubt the democrats are going to beat that drum and and call on on republican uh, candidates to to denounce him or to call for his resignation it's hard for me to see how that ultimately makes a difference in november i just don't think it will i think it's going to have a huge uh, impact on ken paxton's present and his future politically and he's going to have to battle through this and this is a much more serious threat than the securities fraud uh, indictment and, and charges are, even though that is a very serious threat and carries with it a, a significant jail term uh, that has really not moved towards trial and doesn't really appear to be moving towards trial anytime soon. Uh, this obviously is going to take some time to work its way through the investigative process. Uh, we're going to have to learn what's, what official actions did he take? Uh, did he do something inappropriate to, to benefit this real estate investor? Or is there more to the story? He, he alleged uh, in the Statesman. Uh, over the weekend when the story broke that there's more to this that in fact uh, he believes that the officials who are blowing the whistle on him are trying to stop uh, a corruption investigation that his office was conducting so again there, there may be far more to this story than what we know right now we are only I have a very narrow slice of this visible to us we will see what develops over the next coming days and weeks
0: yeah no, no doubt um, curious though what kind of advice would you give him
3: it's hard to do that without knowing all the facts um, you know I think Uh, I think that the the single best advice you could give him right now would be hire the very best lawyer you can possibly afford. Tell that person uh, everything that you possibly can, even if there are bad facts, your lawyer needs to know everything. Uh, Determine your legal strategy that makes the most sense for you. Uh, Evaluate whether you can continue to serve as attorney general effectively. Uh, The attorney general's office is very important. And if you can keep serving. If you can't, then resign and, and deal with these issues, and then move forward after it's resolved. But really, to me, this is a legal challenge for him more than anything else. Uh, this is a huge threat to him, both personally and professionally. And so I imagine over the weekend, he has probably been been working on that, on finding the best lawyer he can, figuring out how he's going to pay for it. Uh, they're, they're not wealthy people. They had to do a legal defense fund on the securities fraud charges. I imagine he would maybe have to do that again. And I don't even know how that works, given that this would be official duties, whereas the securities fraud charges were not official duties. So I don't even know if you could do a legal defense fund. So there are huge questions here. He's facing a very severe threat. And the question is going to be whether Republican support for the Attorney General crumbles over the next few days. If it doesn't, he can probably hold out while he fights this. Uh, If it crumbles, it's going to put pressure on him, unlike anything he's ever felt.
0: So it's fascinating there from from one point of view, you know, uh, Matt really doesn't think, Jason, that Paxton has to resign now, and that's uh, something that Paxton echoed right after that interview in a statement saying he will continue to seek justice in Texas, and he will not resign. But the thing that, you know, is the linchpin in all this is whether he loses
1: his base of support. Right. You can say that one day and then the next day things are are, have changed entirely. I mean, this thing just blew up over the weekend and already we've had a whole cascade of different developments. Uh, And that's why we decided to get our uh, next person on the line, former state Senator Connie Burton, who always has something to say. She's still very plugged into what's going on. And, and, you know, just like, you know, with our other guests, Jason, that's why we sort of mine down into these people who we know have their finger on the pulse here and, and are hearing things Behind the scenes, that are happening as well,
0: and, and Connie has put her rolodex to good use since she uh, left the state senate. Was you know uh, lost her seat in the state senate. She runs the Texan News site, a conservative online news site. So she knows a lot of people to call, and and this news site has kind of been out front on these uh, latest changes here. We, we were talking just before we started recording a moment ago about how. We didn't know if you know, things were going to be very busy at all after the legislature let up uh, last time. And it's been nonstop. It's, it's been a 100 miles an hour, it seems, even faster than that. The news cycle is so fast. And today, the news cycle is on uh, the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, uh, the bombshell announcement last week. I'm curious your take on this. Um, and the question we've been asking is, can he survive this politically? So what do you think?
4: Right. Um, So, you know, obviously, first and foremost, and I've always felt this way, everybody needs to have their day in court, so to speak. Right. And so I'm just like everybody else. I'm kind of watching it as the news comes forward, because I think there's going to be a lot of twists and turns as we go through as we've already seen, frankly, in just these few days. Right. Um, Attorney General Ken Paxton came out and said, you know, Um, They're doing this uh, in retribution of me investigating, I believe, them is how he said it. Um, And, uh, you know, then this morning, um, Chip Roy came out with a statement. uh, And while he said... The attorney general deserves his day in court as well. Um, the Texans are not well served with somebody that, you know, is in this situation and that he should resign. So we're only talking what a matter of days here. And it's just it's been quite the roller coaster. It, it's been
0: moving fast. But you spent time as a state senator in Austin. What, what do you think he should do?
4: Um, you know, I, I guess that's not... I don't think that's really for me to say because I don't know exactly what's going on here. I don't think obviously.
0: I've never known you not to have an opinion (laughs) though, Connie. I've never known you not to have a thought on something.
4: Ah, Jason, you got me there, right? Um, you know, again, I I, I think it, uh, you know, if he wants his, uh, he put out another statement after um, Congressman Roy did and said he's not going to resign. So I don't think it really matters what I think he should or shouldn't do. He said he's not. So he's staying there. He's not going to resign. And I guess we're going to have these investigations into both the individuals within his office and on him as well.
1: Let me, let me focus the question just a little bit more, though. You know, we've got an election coming up, a very important election. We've got some very tight races across Texas. You've got the control of the House up for grabs this time around, essentially would it be best for the party if he Mm -hmm. resigned at this point? Because Ken Paxton's been around for some some years now. He's got good friends. There are plenty of people Democrats could tie him to in this state. And if that's a potentially close race, that could help decide that race. Would it be best for the party, with all that's going on, for someone to step aside and deal with their legal problems?
4: Well, you know, as somebody that has... Run a race, won a race, been in the Senate. Um, You know, everything is, uh, uh, as you all know, can affect your particular race, unfortunately, right? So, you know, uh, these kinds of things do have, um, can weigh on other races. You're correct in that. Um, And I'm sure. those that are on the ballot right now are very worried about this. Because again, even though they had nothing to do with this particular situation going on in the attorney general's office, he is a Republican, Uh, elected official, and, you know, they're going to worry about how this is going to affect their particular race. Again, I'm just not going to say, you know, it's not up to me to decide for the attorney general what he should and shouldn't do. And clearly he stated he's going to, he's staying in, he's not resigning. So I will tell you that I know that there will be a lot of Republicans on the ballot that are very worried about this, because as I mentioned, whether it should or shouldn't, it's going to affect them at the ballot box.
0: Yeah, Uh, no doubt about that. We heard heard from uh, State Representative uh, Sarah Davis from uh, West University Place down in Houston. She also uh, called on him to resign or at least address it, which I think a a statement Monday afternoon uh, might do that. But I want to go back to the statement that he sent out that you referenced, uh, too, Connie. Right. He, he said in the last line, it's like a four-line statement. Mm-hmm. But uh, the attorney general says, despite the effort by rogue employees and their yeah. false allegations, I will continue to seek justice in Texas and will not be resigning. He He's talking about the thing that stuck out to me is rogue employees and false yeah. allegations. And the one who, I, I don't know if he's leading it or not, but the guy who resigned is Jeff Mateer. And for our listeners who might not know Jeff Mateer, he, from all accounts that, that I've heard, is as straight as an arrow, is as highly respected as anybody uh, could and would be. Um, and and for the attorney general to suggest that he's a rogue employee and making a false allegation, um, I wonder what the heck's going on in that office. Exactly.
4: Then. Um, Th- that's Jason, my question. You're you're exactly correct. Um, From my understanding, and if I've met um, Jeff Mateer, I don't recall it, but that doesn't mean anything about Jeff. (laughs) It means only about me, unfortunately, as I get older. Um, but that is exactly the same things I've heard as well. Um, he's a very good man, a straight shooter. He came from First Liberty Institute and is my understanding going back to First Liberty Institute. They're a nonprofit uh, legal organization focused on liberty casework. Um, and he's highly respected. Um, I you know i don't know if you noticed that in uh, congressman roy's statement he kind of hinted at that as well as like you know he it, it seemed to me that he was taking offense that the attorney general would say something about these people that are in his words i believe he used above reproach right so um that's you know then when i read this statement by attorney general these rogue um uh, people how did he say these um, rogue employees, employees. Making false allegations, yeah. yes rogue employees I, I was quite shocked by that too my understanding is that Jeff Matier and Attorney General Ken Paxton have been friends for quite some time this in other words it's not um you know it's not a left and right issue here. It's not Mm -hmm. uh, somebody trying to throw out uh, political accusations uh, to change the election, so to speak, which we see, you know, we see that all the time nationally and locally. Um, So that jumped out at me as well. Um, I don't see this as a democratic, politically motivated thing. And that's why I'm very concerned as Most everybody should be because somewhere um, among all of these statements, there's truth. And that's what we need to get to. Right. You know, figure this out.
1: And whether you're Democrat or Republican or or none of the above or all of the above, uh, this really does doesn't it undermine I guess, people's faith in in, in government, because you've got, I mean, the attorney general's office is a very powerful office in this state. And if you have people within the office, not just pointing the finger at one person, but fingers pointing in all directions, these are people that, you know, hold some very powerful positions in this state, and they're saying some pretty bad stuff about one another here. Right. Don't you think it undermines people's confidence in government?
4: It does, although I don't know if people's confidence in government can become, uh, you know, be any lower than it is, frankly. Touche. Uh- Touche.
1: <laughs> True.
4: And, and I'm curious, I'm
1: curious too, what this does for, you know, some high profile cases. I mean, this office handles a lot of big stuff. One right. of the biggest things that they've been spearheading is this, this attempt to uh, roll back Obamacare, roll back the ACA, and that goes before the supreme court the week after the election That's i mean correct. they've got big things in the pipeline right now to be dealing with all of this dirty laundry within the office
4: exactly and i think that was another one of you know uh congressman roy's appeal right it was you know i i i i, I Maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I, I don't. You know, he certainly doesn't want to make it personal. It sounded like in his statement it was just that these are important things that this office does, um, and they need to be taken You need to be the office needs to be above reproach. So while this is going on, um, let's you know have the uh, attorney general resign and let's move forward and the you know for the people of Texas and all these important matters. So I think you've hit the nail on the head as well. I think that's one of the reasons why he made that statement. So. Um, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm just. Depend- curious. Go ahead.
1: You know, depending on people's political leanings, though, there may be some people who are very happy to see the <laughs> yeah. attorney general's office getting derailed here in Texas because they don't like the things that he's pursuing. In
4: Absolutely, you know that, and then all the partisan things are going to come out, right? Which is, and in my mind, that's where it's, um, you know sad I guess although that's the way it always is but you know I just would more than anything just want the the facts to get out so that the truth can get out so whatever um, the issue is and whoever is at fault whatever that may be um, you know we the people can learn and you know do whatever needs to be done and then move forward but of course there'll be all sorts of partisan attacks and things will get noisy and things will be brought in that don't have anything to do with anything and uh, you know I want to stay very focused on this story as to okay this is this is unusual um we've got people seemingly on the same side um you know and it's this is a big deal that they're calling for this investigation um clearly in the minds of these what seven um yeah people in the office you know seven Mm -hmm. people signed this letter yeah Yeah, putting their
1: reputations on the line and they've got pedigrees here of their own
4: right i mean that's a big deal and then the you know the fact that the attorney general says no it was you guys that you know impeded so you know you're the problem i mean this is big stuff, and I don't disagree with you, Jason or Jason. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it, it, it is a sad situation because there's big stuff going on in the Attorney General's office all the time. Uh, the business of Texans need to be taken care of, and people need to have confidence in that office.
0: And in addition to the, uh, the, the resignation from Jeff Mateer, uh, we also saw Jordan Berry, uh, yes. who is, is, who is Paxson's longtime uh, you know, political manager, campaign manager. Uh, he resigned as well, too. So I'm, I'm curious, considering all that uh, and then the, the resignation requests and then the I will not resign statement, wh- what are you watching for to happen next? Final question for you, Connie. Yeah. What, what's going to happen next?
4: Well, I was actually waiting for this, a statement from the attorney general, and then I pulled up our article and saw he made one. You know, he already made it. I'm not resigning. So, you know, now I'm kind of, I don't know. You know, we're going to stay in touch. We're going to be with all our contacts um, and see, you know, will the uh, the governor say more because he's concerned about it from a political standpoint or for the people of Texas. I know he's already kind of vaguely said, I'm going to watch this, but, Will the governor, the uh, uh, lieutenant governor come out and think, OK, now that Chip Roy said something and, you know, we don't want this to get ugly. Maybe they'll come out and say more. I don't. That's, I guess, where I'm looking right now. Are there going to mm-hmm. be more statements from the big three, um, you know, uh, and, and of course, we'll be you know, checking on all the behind the scenes kind of things as well to find out wh- more of what's going on.
1: We will be watching and uh, waiting as well here. And uh, if you hear, by the way, of some of those behind the scenes things (laughs) that we haven't heard of yet, please do uh, reach out. Okay, we will. Former State Senator Connie Burton, thanks for being with us and, and sharing that. All right. So uh, there you have it. She is not going to say what she thinks as far as whether he should uh, resign or not. But uh, interesting that she also made this point that this is not just, you know, some, quote, unquote, deep state Democrats trying to take down the Texas attorney general. This is Republican on Republican within his own office. And these are people who have uh, long histories of their own and uh, are standouts in the party as well in some cases. That's what makes it so fascinating to watch this Republican on Republican rift here. I think
0: rift is not even the accurate word to describe this. Nevertheless, it is changing. It seems, uh, you know, we've had, what, three or four developments today, Monday, as we record this podcast and release it to you. So uh, keep an eye on this one, and we will be as well, too.